the first degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. First degree. The first degree. These things are supposed to happen in movies, not in real life. It's still shocking to think about, like, because I can, when I close my eyes and think about it, I just see this man sitting in front of me and he's just so lost and so strung out and just, just so lost is all I can think of and just to think a couple of hours after I sat right in front of him he, he was murdered so brutally Welcome to The First Degree, the true crime podcast that you might end up on. My name is Jack Vanek, sitting here with Alexis Linkletter and Billy Jensen. How are we doing today? Feeling good, feeling sprightly, feeling feeling excited. Yes, just another episode of The First Degree. Into the books it goes. Um, I do want to, you know, give a little shout out to our Patreon because if you haven't joined it, you're really missing out on all of the exciting, weird things that we have in our brain that we have to offer. They all get spilled yes. in Patreon. Yes. And you can actually see our faces when we're actually, when we're talking about them too. Yes. For, video for content uh, yes. only video. on Patreon. I never put on makeup, so you're not getting much from me, but your Alexis <laughs> looks beautiful. Billy looks gorgeous. Jack, you, you know? look great. Uh-huh. You look great, great, but just wait till we start implementing costumes. Mm, yeah. There's, there's nothing like receiving a text from Alexis with a link to a costume for a, an outfit from Amazon. And she's like, it's free shipping. <laughs> It's not free shipping, but no one replied. And I was like, uh, this, well, no. it sounds like a yes if no one replied. This is, I was driving when you guys were sending all those text messages. And I was like, oh, my God, there's like 35 missed texts from the first degree chat. Like something must be really, really wrong. And then I go look at my phone and I'm like, oh, it's a bunch of Amazon links to certain type of costume that I'm not going to say. <laughs> and I was like, it seemed oh, like that's a great idea. Missed. It seemed like a great idea at the time. Well, you know, I'm always down for a costume. So coming soon to Patreon, I don't even know what it's going to be, but we will be dressed up. So yes, we will. Don't miss out. Uh, what day is it today, Billy? All right. Today is June 1st, and it's Oscar the Grouch Day. Oh. Oscar the Grouch's birthday is June 1st, and there was actually an episode. It was episode 3,866 of Sesame Street, where he doesn't want a happy birthday. And he makes a bet with Telly that people won't be able to give him a grouchy birthday. And they do. (laughs) Everybody delivers. Like Big Bird just gives him a present and then just doesn't talk to him the rest of the day, which is so on Big Bird. Oh, my God. Somebody gives him a gift, but but there's nothing in the box. Somebody makes him a chicken and mint pie with sardine frosting. He has a a garbage can pinata that breaks garbage all over him. They sing grouchy birthday to him. And then he was happy somewhat because he was just like... They could give me a grouchy birthday, but then he's like, you know what the best thing about birthdays are? You only have to celebrate them once a year when they happen. So this honestly sounds like a perfect party for you, Billy, like a trash pinata, just trash trash raining down on you. (laughs) I think that we know what we're going to do for Billy's birthday birthday now. It's going to be Oscar the Grouch. We always wonder. Yeah. No, this is amazing. That actually is really cute. I I love it. I love it. Oh, cute. Are there any other days or is that our day? That's pretty. That's our day. That's all we're going with. All right. Well, that's enough of that then. So let's turn down the lights and turn up your anxiety because this could be you.
When you're in high school, it seems that everyone is on the same playing field. Yes, you have no idea what might be going on at home, but you're all getting the same education, mixing with the same people, having access to the same mentors potentially. But the roads traveled after high school can diverge in major ways. If you Google names of your high school classmates, you'll inevitably come upon someone you knew who very much diverged from the path that you once shared. In today's story, our first degree didn't have to do much to go find that. Just happenstance, with a cosmic shuffling of the deck, years after graduation, she came face to face with a former classmate through the thick glass of a jail meeting room. We begin today's case on December 13th of 2021, just six months ago. Easy on Me by Adele had been at the top of the charts for seven weeks, and the second song on the charts was Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas Is You. Such a banger. I think she makes like $600,000 a year just from this song, which is quite nice. The top movies in theaters were Encanto, Ghostbusters Afterlife, and West Side Story. Now, the setting for today's case is Arkansas City in Kansas. Located four miles from the Oklahoma's border, Ark City, as it's known, is a small college town of around 12,000 people. The city has a substantial agribusiness sector, including a state-of-the-art beef packing plant and a jet engine repair station. And our first degree for today's case is named Krista. And let me tell you, everyone, Krista is fascinating. She's a former corrections officer turned bail bondswoman and a bounty hunter. And boy, did she have some stories. This is my 11th year, and I have on in our local county, Cowley County, and the cities are Arkansas City, Kansas, and Winfield, Kansas. And then I also bond in a, another county that's close to ours, but I don't go over there very often. So I just, I go get people out of jail. So I know that everybody has kind of heard of bonds, men and women, but what exactly do they do and how does the whole thing work? So it basically all starts when people get arrested and they need to get bailed out of jail. And we're going to let Krista take it from there. So usually the family calls me and then I just get their basic information, like their name, what they're in jail for, how much their bond is. I tell them how much it's going to be. I set up a time and then we meet up at the jail and they sign for them. And then they just release them. Every county is a little bit different, though. Our county is really reliant on bondsmen. Before those who have been arrested are released, the defendants are given a court date, usually for around three weeks from the date they were bonded out of jail. So what happens if they don't show up? If they fail to appear at that court date, they issue, they as in the court, issue what's called a bond forfeiture And it's my job to actually go out and bounty hunt and find the people that missed court and put them back in jail. This is what Krista does day in and day out, which brings us to the evening of December 13th of 2021, when Krista received a call from a man named David. David needed to be bonded out of jail after he was arrested and charged with a misdemeanor. So Krista traveled to Winfield, where the county jail was located. There she met David and subsequently bailed him out. The whole encounter was straightforward, nothing out of the ordinary, just another night on the job for Krista. After Krista was done with David, she was surprised to get another call from him. What did he want now? He was already bailed out of jail. So on the phone, David said that he wanted Krista to also bail out a family friend and his cellmate, who had been arrested that same night. And it was just a fluke. 
They were both in there at the same time and knew each other already. So this other gentleman's name was Matt. Matt Kelly. He too had been charged with a misdemeanor. So on this call, David told Krista that Matt only had half the money he needed. So David was going to front him the other half. So with this information, Krista agreed to drive back to the jail to bail Matt out. To her, again, this was just another night of being a bail bondswoman. She walked into the jail and was directed to where Matt was waiting for her. So when I write the bond, I have to go into a room. It's called the attorney-client visitation room. And it's it's kind of what you see on TV where the glass separates you two. I was on one side and Matthew was on the other. And then I just go over his basic information, like name, where he's working, his address, and all of that. All right. So this is when things get really interesting. While filling out her paperwork for Matt, she found out that his last name was Kelly. She thought it sounded familiar, but she couldn't quite place where she knew the name from. Thankfully, Matt could also tell that they knew each other from somewhere as well. And he mentioned it to Krista. They both started connecting the dots from there. He said, wait, did you go to Arc City High School? And I said, yes, your name sounded familiar. And he said, I thought that was you. How are you doing? And I thought, well, this is a really weird class reunion to have in the jail. I remembered him. I I mean, I'd hung out with him some. We went to the same parties together because he played football. Krista and Matt had gone to high school together. And remember, we're in a place that feels very small town. And now Krista was sitting on the other side of the glass from her former high school classmate. As Krista sat there, she realized there was a reason she didn't immediately recognize Matt. He was no longer a high school kid. He was a 34-year-old man, and he looked quite a bit different than he used to. He looked very lost, very scraggly, just, I don't want to say strung out, but that that's the only word that comes to mind. He just seemed very out of sorts. While Krista finished the bond paperwork, Matt talked about how mad he was to be in jail that night, to be in the situation, and to be in the position he'd found himself in. So at that time, he didn't actually go into much detail about the circumstances that had landed him behind bars. And at that point, Krista doesn't really care. She's there to do a job. She's there to bail him out. However, he did mention to Krista that he had six open domestic battery cases in another county. Once again, he didn't explain further. After I completed all the paperwork, he asked me if I was going back to Ark City. And I said, no, I actually live east of town but I can call a ride for you. And he said, okay, can you call my dad? Sure, absolutely. So he gave me his dad's phone number and I called right there on my phone in the room and his dad didn't answer. And so I waited a couple more minutes and called his dad again and his dad didn't answer for the second time. With no answer from Matt's dad, Krista offered Matt another solution. She could call his girlfriend, who had actually contacted her earlier that day, but wasn't able to come up with the full $200 that Matt needed to get bailed out. And that's when his friend David stepped in, who was the first guy that Krista bailed out that evening. So back to the girlfriend. What exactly was the situation with her, and was she still willing to help out Matt? She probed Matt for more information. So I asked him, I said, well, your wife or girlfriend had called me earlier in the day would you like me to call her? And he was 
kind of reluctant at first, like, oh, I don't know. And I said, well, I don't know that anybody will be able to give you a ride, especially this late at night. So he said, yeah, go ahead and call her. And her name is Candy. And I called her. And at first she answered and I said, hey, I'm just letting you know I'm the bondsman and I'm bonding Matt Kelly out. Can you come and get him? And she was like, um, oh, okay. Yeah. And then hung up. And it just, I don't know. I just got this really weird vibe off of it. But like I had said earlier, he kind of confided in me a little bit about some old cases and said that he had some domestic battery cases open in another county. With a ride on the way, Matt signed his paperwork and Krista exited the attorney-client room to notify the jail staff that Matt would be picked up soon. Then, just as Krista was walking back to her car, thinking her night was finally over, she received another phone call. When she answered, it was from Matt's girlfriend, Candy, on the other end of the line. And I thought, well, this is weird, okay? So I answered the phone, and she said, how did he get out of jail? Like, she was... She was pissed. Candy's response was confusing. Krista had talked to her shortly before, and Candy was well aware that Matt was getting out and needed a ride soon. So this was also his girlfriend, and it seemed as though she didn't want Matt to get out. So what exactly was going on? Candy, again, seemed confused. How had Matt gotten out? As if she didn't want him to. So Krista explained. And I said, well, he had a friend help bond him out. Well, who's this friend? And I said, well, his name is David, and I just need somebody to come pick Matthew up from the jail. Well, I don't know how he got bonded out of jail. Like, she was very upset about him getting bonded out. And I I don't know why. I said, well, is somebody going to come pick him up because they're going to release him soon? She said, yeah, somebody will be there. After she made it home, Krista didn't think much of her run-in with David or her former high school classmate, Matt. These odd encounters and heated exchanges that often correlate with people having brushes with the law, they were commonplace to her. It was just another night at work. That was until the following afternoon when Krista received a very disturbing phone call. The next day, I get a phone call that afternoon. I can't tell who called me because it was not supposed to call me, but she said, hey, Matt Kelly was murdered last night. And I said, what? She said, Matt Kelly was murdered last night. And I said, Matt Kelly that I bonded out, are you sure? She said, yes. And she said, I have to go. And she hung up. Krista was speechless. She didn't know what to think. She was concerned and confused and sad all at once. And not only was I, like, connected to him because I went to school with him, but, like, I had just bonded him out. And I was literally the last person, other than whoever killed him, to talk to him. Krista couldn't comprehend what she was told on the phone. How could Matt be dead? Who killed him? Was it David? The man who hired Krista to bail Matt out? If not, then who wanted Matt dead and why? 
To answer all these questions and more, you know the drill. We've got to go back. Matthew Ryan Kelly was born in Kingman, Kansas on January 27, 1987, to parents John and Cynthia. He attended high school in Hayesville and Ark City, where he met our first degree, Krista. And Krista and Matt weren't BFFs, but they did hang out. I just remember him being like one of the guys that drank and would chew tobacco at school and just kind of kind of the rebel jock type. And I dated a guy in high school who was friends with him. They were just both on the football team. After high school, Matt graduated with an associate's degree in business from Cali College in Arc City. He then opened a lawn mowing business. And when he wasn't working, Matt liked to fish and he liked to hunt. And he also liked spending time with his daughter and his nieces. In 2011, Matt married a woman named Megan, and they later welcomed a daughter named Madison. Five years later, Matt and Megan were divorced, and Matt started dating a woman named Candy. And this is the same Candy that you heard about in the beginning of the story. The couple moved in with Matt's father, John, his older sister, Lisa, and Lisa's teenage daughters. The home, which was located on a seven-acre farm in Ark City, belonged to Lisa and her late husband, Justin, who tragically passed away in an accident in 2018. Justin, a semi-truck driver, was pulling an empty trailer down a Kansas highway when another semi swerved in front of him. After colliding, both trucks caught fire. Justin and the two occupants in the other semi were all killed. So Lisa, her daughters, Matt, their dad, and Candy all cobbled together their own sort of modern family in living together. Candy would go on to tell Shane Farley from News Cow that she and Matt were engaged at the time of his murder. During that interview, Candy said she loved Matt more than she loved herself. He was her best friend. But she also detailed a dark side of their relationship and claimed to have suffered abuse at Matt's hand. She said he'd, quote, beaten the shit out of her multiple times in the past. So if you recall, when Krista bailed Matt out, he told her about six domestic battery cases in another county. So unfortunately, we couldn't find any further details about those six incidents because he was never prosecuted due to his untimely death. We also couldn't find any evidence that Matt had ever been convicted of a felony. But as we said at the top of this episode... Without prosecution, we'll presume people are innocent until proven guilty. But I think we can discern that Matt and Candy had a tumultuous relationship. But it does beg the question as to whether these variables may have played into Matt's murder. And more questions. What exactly happened before Matt ended up in jail, sitting across from Krista with glass between them? What had he done exactly? So here's what happened. On December 12th, 2021, Matt was arrested for a misdemeanor count of criminal damage to property. Candy had called the cops on Matt after he damaged her car by egging it, quote, putting some trees on it and cracking a window a little bit. This is a weird reason to have somebody arrested if this was the whole story exactly. But after Matt was arrested, we know he ended up in the county jail. Right. And as luck would have it, Matt ended up sharing a cell with a family friend named David. And we told you about David. He's the one who had called Krista to help bail Matt out of jail. Then Krista called Matt's dad and then Matt's girlfriend, Candy, to come pick him up. Only Krista would later learn that Candy never did pick Matt up that night. Someone else did. And less than three hours later, Matt would be brutally murdered. Just after midnight, now December 14th, 
Officers in Western Cowley County saw a Chevy S-Ton pickup with a flat tire sitting on the side of the road. When the officers walked up to the truck to check for occupants to see if everyone was okay, they found a man and woman inside, and they were acting sort of bizarre. So the cops are probably thinking, okay, run-of-the-mill, flat tire. We just got to make sure there's no debris on the road and everyone's okay. Something they'd encountered a thousand times, right? Well, not in this case. The officers peered into the back of the truck and noticed something shocking. They could see what was blood, as well as some tarps in the bed of this pickup. So we have no idea what the exchange between the officers and the two occupants were. But regardless, the officers ended up arresting the two of them on suspicion of murder. Officers then immediately secured a search warrant. And once they could legally go through the truck, they lifted up the tarps in the back and made another horrifying discovery. What they had found was the source of the blood they were seeing. It was the body of 34-year-old Matt Kelly. He'd been beaten and stabbed and shot multiple times. It was the worst case scenario. After Krista found out about Matt's murder, her head was spinning with questions about who could have done this. Her mind first wondered whether it was David, the man who spotted Matt the money to get bailed out. Could this whole thing be financially motivated? My first thought was, oh my God, David killed him because Matthew didn't pay him back. Because, that, you know, those things happen. But they don't happen here. Like, it, murders are rare here. Still in shock and reeling from this sad, strange string of events, Krista realized that she probably needed to let her boss know what was going on. She had no idea what the implications of this bizarre situation would be. When I called my boss, she was like, oh, this isn't good. I was like, oh, my God, what happened? <laughs> I've never done this before. She was just like, oh, we have to call our company attorney. <laughs> That's the first thing she told me. And I was like, oh, my God, maybe I shouldn't have called you. <laughs> Not long after, in a weird twist of fate, David actually called Krista again. Because get this, he needed to bail someone else out of jail. So what are the odds of this, right? So this time, David needed his son bailed out of jail. Because remember, Krista at this point has no idea who hurt Matt. And she's wondering if this guy, David, the guy she's on the phone with, was the one who'd done it. So Krista tried to keep her cool and just kind of feel David out to see how he would act and see what he knew. I was like, you know, Matt died last night. And David's like, what? Are you serious? I mean, he's an older man. He's like in his 60s, probably. I said, yeah, I just got a call a couple hours ago that he, he died. And David said, well, I won't get that $100 back. Kind of a cold and callous response from Dave. Krista thought David's response was strange as well. But was it suspicious? Krista didn't think so. To her, it just sounded like he said this whole thing out of shock. Based on this reaction, the tone of his voice and his demeanor, Krista didn't think David was involved. But if it wasn't him, who was it? Now, the day after Matt's murder, Krista was back at the same jail in Winfield where she'd seen Matt because she needed to bond somebody else out. And while she was there, she asked one of the staff members whether anyone had been arrested for Matt's murder. I had gone to the jail to bond somebody else out. And it's a small county, and I've been doing this for a long time. I actually worked in the jail before I became a bondsman. So the sergeant on first shift, I was like, so is anybody arrested yet? 
And she said, yeah, there's two males and two females. One female, her name was Lisa. She is actually Matthew Kelly's sister. On December 13th, 2021, bail bondswoman Krista went to the jail in Winfield, Kansas, to bail out 34-year-old Matt Kelly, who'd been arrested for a misdemeanor count of criminal damage to property. Mere hours after his release, Matt's battered body was found under tarps in the back of a pickup truck. Two men and two women were subsequently arrested in connection with Matt's death. Those people were Justin Pierce, Dylan Weaver, Amber Orr, and Lisa Wise. And side note, Lisa Wise is Matt's own sister. And real quick, now that we're about to get further into Matt's murder and what allegedly happened, we want to say a quick reminder that everybody is innocent until proven guilty. The following information we're about to tell you is all alleged and comes from interviews with Matt's girlfriend, Candy, arrest affidavits, and confessions from three of the four defendants. To fully understand what led up to Matt's death, how it played out, and what happened afterwards, we need to rewind one more time. So let's do this. We are going to start back in the summer of 2021, because according to Candy, that's when Matt and his sister Lisa started getting into explosive arguments at the house where they all lived. The fights were usually over Lisa's recent behavior, which had apparently changed and started after her husband passed away. Lisa had received a $1.4 million settlement following his death. And sadly, Lisa had blown it all gambling in the years that followed. Lisa was no longer working, and the bills started piling up. And Candy told News Cow that many of the siblings' arguments were from over the fact that Matt found out that Lisa had also been stealing from their father, John. Their father's $100,000 retirement fund had been completely drained. And it gets worse. Beyond stealing from her father, Lisa had been applying for all these types of loans in her dad's name. Matt had repeatedly told his father that Lisa was stealing money from him and using drugs. And Lisa would deny everything and would tell Matt that he was crazy for thinking that she was stealing from their father. A lot of gaslighting going on. But it doesn't seem like John ever took Matt's allegations seriously. And that is until Matt was murdered and Lisa was arrested. After it all happened, John went to the bank. Okay. The bank, in the 30 days prior to this happening, Lisa had taken $4,000. John pressed charges. The bank pressed charges. Now, I guess that that case is in this case somehow or another. I don't know. That's just what Detective Scott told me this week. So something interesting. We've had a couple of cases, not very many, where there was a murder amongst siblings. And money is always, always involved. Oh, yeah. And I don't know why it turns people into this very, like, primal, like you're going back to Game of Thrones attitudes about about, you know, estates and fairness and, you know, who knows what, it's just so odd that things can escalate between siblings to this degree. It's like, yeah, it turns everybody into like their basic survival instincts, which is so weird because usually it's not like a life or death situation, but the way that people act in these situations, you would think it was. Yeah. And sometimes you see it on, you know, with hundreds of thousands of dollars and you can even see it for, you know, 10 grand. Doesn't matter. Exactly. Okay, back to the events that led up to Matt's murder. Matt and his fiancée, Candy, started noticing yet another issue with Lisa. She'd started using hard drugs after falling in with a very bad crowd. 
which included two co-defendants who would also be charged with murdering Matt, Justin Pierce and Dylan Weaver. They all do meth. It's, it's a really big drug around here. Meth has always been an issue with Arc City. Also, like, marijuana. But heroin is also something that has newly become a problem within the county. But I would say methamphetamine and theft are some of the biggest crimes that you see there. Now, when questioned, Candy told officers that she and Matt didn't know Justin or Dylan very well. They'd only seen them around the farm a few times. However, prior to his murder, Matt had found out that Dylan and Justin were storing a stolen truck and a stolen trailer on Lisa's property in this shared family farm. So Matt didn't want his sister or any other family members to get in trouble. They didn't want stolen property on their property, which I kind of understand. So after Matt threatened to call the cops on them, Dylan and Justin moved the truck and trailer and they burned it. And they didn't like Matt anymore after that. They were pissed about it. And Candy said that their worries about Matt and their dislike for Matt did not subside after this. Justin was worried that Matt might turn them in and told Dylan, a rat deserves to die, allegedly. Tensions continued to run high at the shared home. Siblings Lisa and Matt continued their arguing well into the fall and beyond into the winter season. Lisa would constantly threaten to have Matt evicted or beaten up or what have you. And all Matt wanted to do during this time was to protect his father's assets and frankly made sure that Lisa and her kids were okay. And also he was pissed that Lisa had been stealing. And despite all this chaos between Matt and Lisa, he refused to leave his father because he was worried about what else Lisa could possibly do. And the arguments persisted and compounded, and things took a turn for the worse starting around December 8th. At this particular moment, this time, it had been going on for like four days. And I'm talking, arguing like Matt was getting up out of bed and just screaming and yelling at everybody, getting everybody's faces, just mad. These fights got intense and messy, and sometimes other members of the household got dragged into the crossfire for one reason or another. It turns out that during the fight that had occurred on the evening Matt was arrested, Candy's car had been damaged. Now, remember, Matt was arrested for destruction of property. Candy's car was that property. But Candy says that she actually didn't want Matt to get in trouble. But on this occasion, the fighting at the house had gone to a whole new level. And she feared that things were going to turn extremely violent if something didn't change. So desperate to intervene somehow in a way that Matt wouldn't get into major trouble, she called the police to report that Matt had damaged her car. She knew this would be a minor offense, and she thought it would be removing him from this potentially violent situation. So I was thinking that maybe if he went to, if we, he went to jail, he would calm down, you know, enough to where it would be talking, you know. I went outside with one of the sheriffs, and I told them, I said, I don't want to put Matt in jail, because that's not what I wanted to do at all. But something had to stop, you know, like... It was just, the fighting was crazy. So Matt was hauled off to the county jail where he spent the night. And we know what happened next. Krista bailed out Matt late the following night. But what happened that day while Matt was sitting behind bars waiting? And this is what we know. That day, Candy cooked dinner at home for Lisa and Justin. As she was cleaning up, our first degree Krista called Candy to see if she could come get Matt from jail. And if you recall, Krista told us that she got these weird vibes from her brief chat with Candy. 
And it turns out Candy had been thrown off by the call because she didn't know that anybody was trying to bail Matt out. So once Candy got that information from Krista, she told Matt's sister Lisa that he would be home as soon as he got a ride. With that information, Lisa apparently started freaking out, acting like she was scared to death of Matt being released. Candy felt like Lisa was playing the victim. She knew that Matt had never laid hands on his sister before. He had, however, allegedly hit Candy before. So Candy felt that if anyone should be scared, it should be Candy, not Lisa. Again, there is a lot of he said, she said here, and everyone should be presumed innocent until proven guilty. So Lisa told Candy that her friend Dylan Weaver was in Winfield and he was going to go pick up Matt from jail. But remember, Dylan doesn't like Matt and Matt doesn't like Dylan. So it's an interesting thing to volunteer to do. So Candy tells Lisa, the sister, that she thought maybe her, Candy, or Lisa should pick Matt up instead. And he'd probably be more comfortable with that instead of some guy who doesn't like him picking him up. But Lisa tells her no. Dylan needed to be the one to pick Matt up. Let's hear this uh, from Candy. She said, he needs his ass beat. I said, no, not like this. And she said, it's a perfect time. I said, no, Lisa, not like this. I said, maybe so. Maybe he does need his ass beat, but not like this. You know, it just it doesn't, shouldn't go down like this. It should not happen like that at all. At all. Nothing like that should happen. Scrambling to fix the situation, Candy apparently gave Matt's dad, John, $20 to go pick up Matt. After John left... Candy went back to Lisa and told her she didn't need to send anyone to pick Matt up because John was going to do it. But Lisa told her it was too late. Lisa left the house to drop Justin off and then went back home. Once there, Lisa told her teenage daughter to leave the house with her boyfriend. She said they couldn't come back until she gave them the okay. Lisa took off again, leaving Candy all alone in the house. Candy wanted to leave before Matt got home in case he was mad at her for putting him in jail, but she had a flat tire. Her tire compressor was in Lisa's trunk, so she called Lisa and asked her to come back with it. Lisa said she'd be back with the compressor shortly. Then, inexplicably, Lisa told Candy to warn Matt not to get into Dylan's truck when he arrived at the jail. Okay, so side note. We're aware that this is confusing, convoluted series of events. This person's picking this person up. That person's picking him up. But based on what we're hearing, here's sort of my take on this. Lisa was extremely angry at Matt. And when she was in the throes of this anger, was like, Dylan, go pick him up and teach him a lesson. Then she calms down and she's like, shit, shit, shit. Tell him not to get in the car with Dylan. I fucked up, you know? Yeah. Because she cooled off. You know, that's why they tell people not to make decisions when they're angry. She cooled off. She's like, wow, I'm overreacting. I don't want Dylan to beat up my brother or whatever is about to happen. She tried to backpedal, but she was a little late. Right. Because Lisa tried to get the word to Matt to not get into the truck with Dylan. And Lisa told Candy, I don't know what they're going to do to him, but he's in danger. Candy messaged Matt and he replied that it was too late. He'd already been picked up. Candy begged him to get out of the truck then lied and told him that Lisa didn't send anyone to pick him up. It was all a ruse. But Matt called Lisa and she said he was fine. He didn't need to get out of Dylan's truck. And it kind of makes you see this sort of erratic Lisa. You know, there are these swings of of decisions and uh, I don't know, um, being like a bad bitch one second and then like, oops, I went too far. And 
it just seems very chaotic. Yeah. It's so chaotic. Like, I can't imagine what it was like to be in this situation. It's just like going back and forth and back and forth. There's no steady line with her. It's just like, like you said, it's just like, oh, I'm going to do one thing. I'm going to do another thing. And then she's not only, I mean, a lot of people do this in their heads, but she's interacting with people as it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And unfortunately it would just get worse. So after Dylan Weaver picked up Matt from jail in his Ford 250 truck, the pair also picked up Justin, which is weird because Candy just drove Justin home. Remember, Justin's the other one who had stolen this truck and was keeping it on the family property. So these guys, Justin and Dylan, don't like Matt. So on the car ride back to the farm, everyone allegedly was chatting and getting along just fine. They even stopped at a convenience store, apparently to buy drugs, but the dealer never showed up. Big bummer for everyone. But by the time the three men made it to Lisa's, it was around 10 p.m., and things were calm. Maybe this was all going to be okay after all. And both Candy and Lisa were there airing up Candy's tire. Maybe this was just going to calm down and be a normal night. But as soon as Matt saw Candy, he started yelling at her. He was still super pissed off that she had him arrested. Candy said that she was getting ready to leave as soon as her tire was aired up. And Matt told her that if she left, she couldn't come back. Their relationship would be over. Candy said that she wasn't leaving for good. She just didn't want him to be upset with her. But Matt just continued to yell at Candy. Then if you can imagine, things get more chaotic when Lisa joins in on all this yelling. Here's Candy again. I mean, before he, her feet even hit the ground, she's yelling at me, telling me, she's like, Candy, let's go. Candy, get in the truck. Let's go. Let's go. So I have Matt yelling at me and Lisa's screaming at me, telling me, let's go. And then Dylan gets out of the front seat saying, fuck you, bitches. Fuck them, bitches. And I don't know what that's about. You know, like, I don't know why he's acting like that. I don't even, I, he, he don't even know us, you know. And he don't even know Matt on a level to be talking to him with like that, you know. Like, you just, you just don't, if you don't notice somebody, you just don't talk to him like that. Like we said, it just sounds like absolute chaos. And now it's escalating and mounting and compounding once again. And it's 10 o'clock at night. Tensions are high. Tempers are flaring. Recipe for disaster. Yeah. Once again, Lisa yelled to Candy that it was time to go. Candy was trying to unplug her air compressor from Lisa's cigarette plug-in, but Lisa put the car in reverse and started driving away. Luckily, Candy was able to get into the car without hurting herself. As Candy was climbing into the vehicle, the last thing Matt said to her was, if you leave, you'll regret it for the rest of your life. We're pulling out. There's Matt, just Dylan, and Justin standing in front of the house. And that was the last time I seen Matt. Why did, I, why, why did I leave? Why Matt would have never left me? He did. He would have never left me. And, and I should not have left him. Regardless of the outcome, it would have been whatever it would have been for me. I just should not have left him. And I can't help but wonder what was in his mind thinking that the woman he loved and his sister just left him. I can't sleep at night. Now, according to Dylan, as soon as Candy and Lisa left, a fight broke out in the yard, a physical altercation. Dylan and Justin both claim that they saw Matt go to pull something from his waistband, allegedly, possibly a gun. Later, no weapon was found on Matt. He'd just been released from jail after all. They were the ones who picked him up. Obviously, he didn't have a weapon on him. Yeah, where was he going to get it? Regardless, the fight was on. And at one point, Matt had Dylan on the ground and was, you know, trying to choke him. 
this fight was brutal. Dylan allegedly told officers that Justin realized what was going on and jumped in and stabbed Matt in the leg to try to get him to stop fighting with Dylan. And once he was free, Dylan went to the porch and grabbed an extension cord, which he put around Matt's neck and was attempting to strangle him with. And I'm like, I cannot believe fights over fucking nothing turn yeah. into this. And it's it's yeah. really a lesson to like, the dumb fights de-escalate. Like some people just don't have the ability to stop. And this is something that just got so out of hand. Yeah. So police say Dylan and Justin beat and kicked Matt and Dylan ended up kicking him so many times that he hurt his own foot in the process. But Matt wasn't giving up. According to Dylan, Matt tried to escape by jumping in Dylan's truck, but as he made it to the driver's seat, Justin grabbed a 12-gauge shotgun from the back seat and fatally shot Matt in the back of the head. Again, a dumb argument, and now Matt's lost his life, and anyone who's involved in this, their lives are ruined too. And it's like, I hope it was worth it, everybody. Justin then allegedly forced Dylan to help clean up the crime scene. He held Dylan at gunpoint and said he'd kill his family if he didn't help. Dylan complied, and they wrapped Matt's body in a tarp, loaded it into a trailer, hitched it to Dylan's truck, then drove to a dirt road in Sumner County. To buy some time, they hid the trailer, with Matt's body still inside, in a tree line. Meanwhile, Lisa and Candy had gone to their friend Angie's place. She lived around a mile from the family farm. So upon their arrival, Candy chose to go inside, while Lisa stayed outside. And while she was out there, Lisa heard the gunshot that Justin had fired. At the time, she didn't know that it had been fired at her brother, Matt. But Lisa goes inside and tells Candy what she just heard. Candy loses it. I'm telling her I want to go home. And I said, if anything bad happens, I'm going to tell. I said, if anything bad happens to Matt, I'm going to tell on you. I'm going to tell. I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to not say any names because I'm scared or nothing like that. No, I'm going to tell who the fuck it is. I'm going to tell. And thinking that she, that would scare her enough to let's go, you know? Not long after, Lisa really did receive a phone call from her father, John. He wanted to tell her that he'd gone to pick Matt up from jail, but someone else had already gotten him first. He told Lisa he was going back home then. Candy felt like something was not right during this whole time. She kept begging Lisa to take her home, but Lisa said no. She wouldn't go until her daughter was home, which made no sense to Candy. Why would Lisa want her daughter there? Then finally, after they'd been gone around an hour and 15 minutes, Lisa said they could head back home. During the short ride, Justin called Lisa and told her that the gunshot she heard was Matt shooting Dylan. Candy didn't believe it for a second. She yelled at Lisa to give her more information, but she stayed silent. Justin then told Lisa he needed her help, but Lisa said she couldn't do anything because she had to get Candy back to her car. She repeated that excuse three times, which Candy thought was odd because it wasn't true. Candy wanted to go back to the house to check on Matt. Lisa and Candy made it back home at around midnight. As soon as Candy got out of the car, she saw a gun lying on the ground. She went inside and found John, who had made it home safely and didn't see the gun because he had parked in a different area. Candy asked where Matt was, and John said he didn't know. Candy then led John to the gun outside, and by the time they made it out there, Lisa had left the property altogether. That's when Candy noticed Matt's ring on the ground, and when she looked closer, she saw blood everywhere.
On December 13th, 2021, Dylan Weaver and Justin Pierce brutally murdered Matt Kelly in Ark City, Kansas, then loaded his body into a trailer, which they later hid in some woods in the neighboring county of Sumner. After Matt's girlfriend, Candy, was finally allowed to go home, she found a gun, Matt's ring, and blood in the yard. Candy started panicking and ran inside and around the house screaming Matt's name, hoping and praying she'd find him. As soon as she got to the front yard of the house, she saw a pool of blood. At the same time, Lisa pulled into the driveway. Candy, still panicking, yelled at Lisa to ask Justin where Matt was at. Candy didn't believe Matt had shot Dylan. She knew Justin had done something shady. But instead, Lisa put her car in reverse and did something absolutely insane. She drove up to the house, drove, went in a circle, drove back down, drove like three or four times. She's driving over the evidence. Like she's driving over the footprints and all this. You know, like everything that we've seen, everything that we found, she's driving over. Candy asked Lisa what she was doing, but received no response. A few minutes later, Lisa told Candy she could call the cops. Then she took off again. Candy called the police and continued searching for Matt while waiting for them to arrive. At the same time, Justin and Dylan were still in Sumner County after hiding Matt's body in some woods. Justin announced to Dylan that they needed to figure out a different place to dispose of the body, but Dylan said that he was done helping. Justin is going to have to call for somebody else to help him. That's exactly what Justin did. He called 25-year-old Amber Orr, who he'd known for just three or four months. And according to Amber, Justin told her he needed her help and asked her to meet him at Lisa's house. But Amber said that was a no-go. She'd been listening to the police scanner and heard that police were already at Lisa's house, investigating a report of gunshots and a large amount of blood in the yard. Justin changed plans and gave her directions to their location in Sumner County. And just as Amber showed up, Dylan was getting ready to leave. Both men were covered in blood. After Dylan left, Justin threatened Amber with death if she didn't help. That's extreme. Allegedly. Amber, who was apparently high on meth, again, chaos everywhere. Chaos. Oh my God. This is total chaotic n- nightmare. She apparently was scared for her life and agreed. And Justin told Amber to back her Chevy S10 truck up to the trailer so they could slide Matt's body into the bed of her truck. Our first degree, Krista, would eventually learn the details of what happened to Matt that night. They put him in the back of a truck and just drove him around the back county roads, trying to find somewhere to get rid of his body. They eventually decided to dump Matt's body on a property that Amber's mother owned on 11th Road in western Cowley County. During the drive, Justin called Dylan and told him to meet them there. Justin and Amber made it to or near the property before they got that pesky flat tire, which forced them to pull over. And that's where they stayed until the officers came upon them and found Matt in the back of the truck. Authorities haven't released all the details in this case, so it's not 100% clear how officers were led to Amber and Justin. But this is what we know based on Candy's interview with News COW. After Candy called 911, officers arrived at Lisa's place and asked what was going on. Candy explained what she knew, that she'd found a gun, ring, and blood, but no sign of Matt whatsoever. An officer asked who Matt had been with earlier that night, and Candy told them that it was some guys named Justin and Dylan, but she didn't know their last names. Right at that moment, Lisa came back home and was trying to sneak in the house without the officer seeing her. And Candy yelled out to her and asked what Justin's last name was. Lisa said she didn't know. (laughs) 
Candy replied, you're fucking the dude and you don't know his last name? That's when Lisa's whole demeanor changed. She started fumbling her words and rambling on making no sense. When officers asked her a question, she couldn't give a direct answer. However, after some time, she did tell them Justin's last name. Then she went to the bathroom. So over the course of the next few hours, I'm sure the chaos ensued, continued to, because this is just a disaster. Disaster. Candy was getting increasingly more angry at Lisa for pretending like she didn't know what happened to her brother. And at one point, Candy decided to confront Lisa. So she stormed into her room. And Candy... I feel bad for her because she's been on the sidelines this whole time and she was trying to defuse. She's like, I'll put you in jail, bro. Like, just to to end this, you know, because this is getting crazy. And now it suddenly makes sense why she was weirded out when Krista called, was like, hey, we're bailing him out. She's like, I wanted him to, I wanted this to cool off for 24 hours and he's just getting out, you know, and now yeah. look what happened. And I said, what the fuck did you, Lisa, what the fuck did you and Justin talk about on that phone call? I said, she said, just that Matt shot Dylan. I said, there was more than three words said on that phone call, Lisa. There was more time than that. So what did, they, what did you guys talk about? And she said that, she said, Justin wanted me, to, wanted me to take you to him. Candy asked where Justin wanted Lisa to take Candy, and Lisa told her the address was outside of Winfield. Candy was so mad because it had been around two hours since the police showed up, and Lisa hadn't offered them any of that info. If she knew where Justin had been at one point, then why didn't she tell the police? Why wasn't she trying to help find her brother? Luckily for Lisa, officers had heard Candy screaming and made their way into Lisa's room. Lisa finally informed them of where Justin had been, then officers took her phone for evidence. And Candy was so angry with Lisa that officers had to physically remove her from the room. For the next few hours, Candy, Lisa, and John had to sit inside the house while investigators processed the crime scene. The whole time, Candy had no idea where Matt was. If he was alive, she knew nothing. It was horrible. Because I don't, I just, I knew Lisa was lying. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I knew, I know she knows more. And she just was not, she was just, she wasn't trying to help her brother at all. And I didn't understand, I didn't understand that, you know. Because of the information Lisa had reluctantly given up, officers were then led to an address in Winfield where they found Dylan, his bloody truck, but Justin was not there. And while we couldn't find the exact details on what happened next, based on the research, it seems safe to assume that Dylan knew he was kind of caught red-handed, so he just told officers where to go find Justin and Amber and where they were taking Matt. He knew their most recent location since Justin had called and told him where to meet them. None of this has been confirmed. These are all just sort of educated guesses based on the interviews and confessions. So we could be wrong, but we're, we're putting on our little deductive reasoning hats here. Officers also could have happened upon Amber's truck accidentally. That has happened, like with the Joel Rifkin case. Sometimes having a body in your truck is just an inherent risk. Mm-hmm. After Amber and Justin got a flat tire and were arrested, Justin was driven a short distance before he was questioned in the back of the squad car. An officer asked him about the report of gunshots on Lisa's property. Justin said Matt had shot Dylan. While the officer was taking notes, he got a call from an officer back at Amber's truck who said it looked like there was a body in the back of the truck. Justin told the officer that he didn't know anything about a body. He suggested that it must be a deer. After police obtained a search warrant and found the body of Matthew in the bed of the truck under the tarps, Justin said that he had no idea how Matthew's body got there. 
Justin and Dylan were charged with numerous felonies, conspiracy, first-degree murder, aggravated battery, obstructing the legal process, and criminal use of a weapon. Amber was charged with a felony count of obstructing the legal process. Matt's sister, Lisa, was also arrested and charged with two felony counts of conspiracy and aggravated battery. All four defendants remained in jail as they couldn't make their bonds. On February 22nd of 2022, Amber pleaded no contest to helping dispose of a body. As part of a plea deal, she agreed to testify against the others. Within days of her plea, Dylan and Lisa also took deals. Dylan pleaded guilty to second-degree murder and agreed to testify against Justin. Lisa pleaded no contest to an aggravated battery charge. In a sit-down interview with News COW, Candy told journalist Shane Farley that Lisa was only taking the plea deal so she wouldn't have to admit her role. Candy alleged that she doesn't think that Lisa's plea is fair to Matt. Lisa may not have pulled the trigger, but none of this would have happened without Lisa. Justin and Dylan wouldn't have known anything about Matt if it wasn't for Lisa herself. Because of these reasons, Candy had one goal for her interview with Farley. Tell people the truth, because Lisa was never going to. I just want people to know the truth. I want people to know that she's not innocent, that she's not this, that she does know what the fuck she did. I mean, she's already saying that we're all lying. We're lying. Even the cops are lying. Even though they have this stack of fucking evidence and and her phone and everything that shows that she's guilty, nobody's ever going to know the truth because she's taken that plea deal. Justin, who continued to plead not guilty, had a preliminary hearing on February 25th. And Dylan testified against Justin because that was his plea deal. And after detailing what happened that night, Dylan was asked why he entered a guilty plea and was testifying against Justin. And what he said, it's the right thing to do. We destroyed a family. I'm doing what's right. I'm doing what I got to do. We killed a man. And then he called Justin a fucking coward. So I will give Dylan this. You did you did the crime. And at least you're like, I, I did it. I'm pleading guilty. Yeah. And this pussy who actually pulled the trigger, Justin, is too scared to admit what he's done. So Dylan, Lisa, and Amber were supposed to be sentenced on April 21st, but the hearings have now been delayed. And this is most likely so that authorities can make sure that the defendants carry out their end of their plea deals. At her sentence hearing, Lisa could receive between 11 and 34 months in jail. Amber faces between 7 and 23 months in custody. And Dylan could be sentenced to anywhere between 109 and 493 months in prison. Justin, who, as of this recording, is still pleading not guilty, has a status hearing in June, and it's unclear if he will go to trial or not. If he's convicted, he faces life in prison without the possibility of parole for 50 years. With Dylan, Lisa, and Amber's plea deals came the details of their confessions, which were heavily covered by the local media. And finding out what happened to Matt after bailing him out has really affected our first-degree Krista. And you can understand why from a philosophical standpoint. It's still shocking to think about, like, because I can, when I close my eyes and think about it, I just see this man sitting in front of me and he's just so lost and so strung out and just kind of just, I don't know, just so lost is all I can think of. And just to think a couple of hours after I sat right in front of him. He, he was murdered so brutally. But no matter how shocking the news is, Krista will be following the story until the very end. I am definitely following this till the end. I will, all of our courts are through Zoom right now. 
and I have access being a bondsman, I can watch the court online. So I am very interested. I've, I'm just super interested in true crime. And this is just something that I'm definitely going to like look at all the way till the end. Rest assured, we will give you updates on this case if they are relevant as we receive them. And we really uh, thank Krista for being so candid, for being a badass bail bondswoman, and for sharing her story. Yeah. Huge thank you to Krista for being our first degree for this episode. If you are listening and you have a story to tell, no story is too small or insignificant. Please email us. Hello at the first degree podcast.com. Follow us on Instagram. Join our Facebook group by searching the first degree. We're talking true crime all the time and join our Patreon because we have a lot of bonus fun content for you there. And remember only you can prevent serial killers and keep your friends close, but not that close. Happy Grouch birthday. Yeah. Happy Grouch birthday day. Shout out to Jared Monaco for scoring original music for the first degree, producing by Caitlin Cleveland, writing by Haley Gray. Sources for this episode are KWCH12, Courier Traveler News, News Cow or COW, not sure, court documents, and as always, our first three guests is always our largest source.